Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Finding Sustainability podcast. We are launching a new type of episode called Insights. Insights will feature clips taken from our regular longer episodes. We will pick segments from previous episodes which we find insightful, inspiring, critical, or simply worth sharing on their own. Our regular longer interviews will continue as usual, but we hope these Insight episodes will make some of the podcast content more available. And the Insight episodes will appear in the same podcast feed along with the normal episodes, but they will be distinguished by the title. So it'll first say Insight and then the name of the person who is featured on that Insight episode from a previous podcast. In this Insight episode, you'll hear a segment of Michael's interview with Larry Crowder. Larry is a professor of biology and marine conservation at Stanford University. You can listen to the full interview in episode 12 of the podcast. They discuss the challenges for interdisciplinarity and the complementary nature of qualitative and quantitative science. So something that's interested me more and more is kind of this a, a reflexive turn, I think it's referred to in anthropology, where we start to think about our own positions as we do science. And for me, it's meant kind of turning the analytic lens that I've applied to resource users um, back on the groups that I'm a part of, right? So a lot of us study collective action. We study how you know, resource users can avoid the tragedy of the commons. How can they produce public goods, et cetera? How can they cooperate? Yep. And I found it increasingly productive to ask some of those same questions to groups of scientists, right? Because science is usefully interpretable as a public good. And so, you know, there's this question, how do we all kind of try to get along together, particularly across groups? And I think collective action is quite arguably more difficult between groups than it is within groups. Yep. Right. So when I'm in the Dominican Republic, you know, the main challenges are between Haitians and Dominicans. Right. As being quite different groups. And so I'm, I'm, I'm curious in your experience in these different settings, first with the working with the turtles and seeing kind of that really explode to have a real impact. And now your work trying to move interdisciplinary work forward. You know, how do we, another way to say this is how do we kind of get beyond a baton model of interdisciplinarity where one kind of because I've been parts of projects where, you know, you have an ecologist, you have a social scientist, and so one person does one thing, and they kind of pass the baton off to the next person, <laughs> right? And, and Absolutely. We, we have a relay race, and by the end, we've, we've kind of finished the race, but, you know, we, you know, how do we really work together more beyond kind of passing this baton? I mean, yep. I have an assumption built in that I think that we should move beyond that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that that's a beautiful metaphor. Uh, and it characterizes a lot of my experience. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and you can go back to the educational system. So sure. suppose you have a, a student who recognizes or who posits, who hypothesizes that the way to solve problems in the real world is to be fully interdisciplinary. Yep. Then they go off to graduate school and they're trained in disciplines. Uh, right. So they, they learn economics from the economists and atmospheric chemistry from the atmospheric chemist and ecology from the ecologist and even in their own heads they have to put that together um, yeah. and, I, and I thought in the Nicholas School which was interdisciplinary uh, and committed to being interdisciplinary uh, it was still uh, when I got there uh, a lot of uh, people who were deep and, and incredible nationally internationally known scholars in their discipline who taught the students their discipline right. um, but didn't really talk about how to put things together uh, Mike Orbach, who you probably know as an anthropologist, um, was at Duke Marine Lab, and he actually became director of Duke Marine Lab, which was a marine biological station 
Oh, like wow. an anthropologist director. Wow. Uh, that was a statement. But um, Mike and I started the first course, I think, in the Nicholas School that was co-taught by a natural scientist and a social scientist from beginning to end. So it was a marine conservation course um, that we called Marine Conservation Science and Policy. And from the beginning to end, we taught it together. We were in class together every day. Wow. And, so, and, and what we focused on was the fundamentals that they needed to know from the natural science and social science and governance, but then talk about problem solving and case studies and how those various knowledges come uh, into solving problems. And that was uh, an eye-opener for me. Uh, I think it was an eye-opener for the students. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the metaphor I've come up with, Michael, is that even in the best interdisciplinary programs that I've visited around the country, the, it's not an unfair metaphor to say um, people teach their disciplinary expertise. Um, and if they do interdisciplinary work, maybe a little bit of about the points of contact with other disciplines, but there's not a full interdisciplinary engagement. Um, And my metaphor is it's like showing students the ingredients for a great gourmet meal, but not teaching them how to cook. How to put the ingredients together really, right? Like how do you take those great ingredients and and make a wonderful meal? So we we show them the ingredients in the courses, but we don't show them how to cook. Right. Um, and, And a lot of us are cooking our own ingredients like we're a buffet line, right? Right. This is is the baton and the green beans are here and the meat's here and the dessert's here. But that that can come together to be a great gourmet meal or it can come together tragically, right? Because you're eating your own own dish. Um, And so so more and more I think about the the key to successful um, engagement for students in interdisciplinary work is to generate training courses that actually cross those disciplinary boundaries mm-hmm. go beyond passing the baton or making the individual dishes for the buffet uh, and say, we're going we're to give you the whole story. And the right. key part of the whole story is how these various knowledges and conceptual frameworks and analytical tools come together. That does seem to be the hard part. The problem in the real world. It's hard. Yeah. You have to, the peop, only people who can teach that are people who have crossed that Rubicon, right? Yeah. If you've done that work in an interdisciplinary framework, then you can talk about it. If you've been safely ensconced in the world of economics and you can talk to an ecologist or a decision maker, but you actually haven't worked together uh, across those disciplinary boundaries, then uh, it's hard with any credibility to teach that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so uh, and so I think the baton passing thing goes back to our educational system where um, we haven't, uh, you know, a lot of us have learned to work in an interdisciplinary way and we've learned about the, and part of it comes down to uh, respect <laughs> and patience. Interesting, yeah. To say, so if I'm, a, if I'm a natural scientist and I think social scientist is kind of a joke, um, how could I work with a social scientist credibly uh, because, you know, they detect the disrespect or, um, you know, and there are a lot of natural scientists who are very quantitative who don't understand or appreciate the value of qualitative social science at all. Right. But qualitative social science for me is just an analogy to natural history in the ecological system, right? Yes, um, I've thought about that before. Yeah, that's really interesting. The great natural historians, before anybody did experiments or framed a hypothesis, went out and observed the world and tried to right. 
what was going on. And they didn't talk to the birds, but they spent a lot of time with them, right? <laughs> yeah, so I have a question about that, actually, because I perceived this similarity before, and I've wondered, right? So in social science, we have like this big intergroup distinction, qualitative, quantitative, and there's a lot of noise there. And antagonism, even with the, within the social sciences. Right. I mean, that's, that's one thing that's interesting is there, I feel like between groups, right, there's frequently in, in psychology, this is called the, I think, the outgroup homogeneity effect, where people kind of view people from other groups as basically being the same. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So when an ecologist might look at a social scientist, they don't make these distinctions. And I'm sure social scientists lump, you know, ecologists all in the same group, too. And when, you know, if I ask an ecologist, well, don't you know about like, the, the biota here, and they might say, well, no, it's actually a lot of work to actually understand any particular ecosystem. So, I've, yeah, I've been wondering, so qualitative social science, you know, it's an equal footing, really, with quantitative social science. And people argue that j just the way you perceive and describe the system is completely different. And so um, yeah. they're comp they can be very complementary, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting, there's so much warfare among social scientists it really is yeah you're really not a real anthropologist unless you're quantitative or unless you're qualitative right and and, and uh, you know and i hit ecology as a graduate student during the boom of experimental ecology and if you didn't have a reductionistic hypothesis right and an intensely replicated experiment you weren't doing science and they kind of said well in order to frame a useful hypothesis and do a sensible experiment you have to know the natural history Right. But they certainly weren't emphasizing teaching us natural history. They were teaching us experimental design, right? Right. So natural history went out of vogue in ecology, and it's it's now uh, enjoying a new vogue. Is it? That was I was wondering. Like, where is that now? Is it coming a back? Lot, well, a lot of people are pushing back, saying that you know, on the importance of observation. Right. Because frankly, I mean, you know, a lot of the the experimental work, um, you know, ended up being kind of naively based on some cartoon of what the real world world looks like rather than something that relates to the real world. Right. Well, experimental effort in ecology was experiments at the scale of a PhD, which means it can be in, in marine systems, uh, a few square centimeters to a hectare or something right. for a summer <laughs> or a couple summers. Yeah. And, you know, that doesn't deal with the time scale and spatial scale of dynamics like of the North Pacific Convergence Zone, I mean, you can't do an experiment. Right. So if you insist on the rigor of experiment, there's some systems that are just excluded from scientific analysis. And so there's more and more emphasis now on natural history and on, on observation, uh, especially in oceanography. Okay. Our, our remote sensing tools are awesome. And it's not, it's, unless you're proposing a large-scale iron enrichment experiment for the ocean, it's hard to do experiments in the ocean, right? Okay, but right. Observation, you know, hypothesis-driven observation is still really important to do. So you can use deductive approaches um, with observation. It doesn't have to be purely inductive, like I just went out and experienced nature and it told me what was going on. Right. You know, so um, I think I think uh, natural history is coming back to a certain degree, but the I think the rigor approach is – toward experiments, toward highly quantitative kinds of things. There are departments that wouldn't hire uh, a qualitative researcher in any field, social right. or medical science, because it's all, it has to be about numbers. And what I've come to appreciate from some of my anthropologist friends is a deep understanding of a culture uh, isn't enumerated. You can't enumerate it necessarily. Right? right, and it's not just fluffy. 
right? It's not just waving your hands and telling stories. It's and not, you know, what, what we've done to try to relate for the people who aren't too keen about social science and qualitative social science is, okay, so the quantitative science provides the science and the relationships, but the qualitative science provides the texture. Mm. Mm -hmm. it, it deepens the understanding of maybe what kind of solutions are possible given what you can measure is going on. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, I, 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 I love the qualitative social science for the understanding and how challenging it is, makes me think about these systems, but even in the context of the more quantitative work, the, the, the context it provides, the texture it provides yeah. is critical. And, that, and you know, I, so my students have presented to the biology faculty here in their dissertations, their quantitative analysis and stuff like that, uh, cut, uh, you know, uh, backed up with quotes from Mexican fishermen. Yeah, right. They play back in Spanish, translated to English. And, and you might say, why is that necessary? But it adds so much dimension. Yes. To the work I mean, that we're doing that we just said, put it in, people will get used to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Put it right after all your beta coefficients, right? And, 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 it's, and it's played pretty well, actually. So I okay. feel like um, uh, your, your sense that there, things are moving uh, toward interdisciplinarity and toward greater respect and appreciation of the contributions of different disciplines, fundamentally to the recognition that we can't solve the kind of problems that society is facing from any single disciplinary perspective. Right. You could say, so I started doing social science because I failed as an ecologist, right? Ecology won't get me there <laughs> to hmm. solutions, right? I need but to, to that point. Okay. I need to have access to these other fields. Um, and I think when people feel the need for each other, when they respect each other, when they value these different perspectives, it's like you know, it's going from black and white to color television. You know, it's a jump. Yeah. A lot of people aren't there yet, but I, my sense like you is there's momentum. And, you know, the, the, the graduate students who are applying, certainly to work with me, they get it. They're pushing me hard. Right. Yeah. yeah. More interdisciplinary focus, even though I'm kind of already there. But uh, it's, it's been really fun, fun to work with them. If you enjoyed this insight episode of the Finding Sustainability podcast, you can listen to full interviews with all of our guests in the podcast feed. You can also find us on Twitter at find underscore sust underscore pod, or you can visit our website www.essnetwork.net forward slash podcast. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher, and can be streamed from our website. This podcast is part of the Environmental Social Science Network. For more information about the network and how to get involved, please visit our website. Thank you for supporting the podcast.